from the book of Luke, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Once while Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let, your nets, let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to burst. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were astounded at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. May the living word of God speak to us through these ancient words of scripture. This morning marks the first Sunday in our new Lenten series, entitled A Wandering Heart. Throughout Lent, we will be following the story of Christ through the eyes of Simon Peter, a disciple who provides a very human and thus a very relatable lens for viewing the gospel narrative. Peter's journey with God is one that often mirrors our own. At times, he displays incredible faith and awe at what God does, while at others, he demonstrates fear or doubt, denial. And we affirm this Lent that wondering is not abandoning God. Indeed, there is no place or time that we can go that does not have the presence of God in it. And as we journey along this Lent, we will come to see that, in many ways, Simon Peter's journey is our own. Now, there may be some confusion surrounding the name of the disciple leading us on our Lenten journey. Um, is his name Simon? Is it Peter? Maybe Simon Peter is right? Well, all of these are technically correct, um, and we will see him referred to by all three monikers throughout Scripture. Um, and as we saw in our verses this morning, this apostle was originally called Simon. This was his Aramaic name, meaning something like listener or hearer. And given his actions in this morning's story, um, it's easy to see why he's listening to Jesus' call to follow him, to become the first disciple. And later on, Jesus will grant Simon a new name, Peter, meaning rock fitting given the rock steady faith that Simon Peter would often display. And such name changes were something that are seen throughout scripture. We see other examples including Abraham becoming Abraham, Sarai becoming Sarah, and Saul becoming Paul. And these name changes often accompanied some sort of a transformation. 
Now, for the sake of clarity and continuity with the rest of the series, I'll refer to this disciple as Simon Paul, but he's not had his moment of name conferral or name change yet. So, so this morning's account is one that is unique to the Gospel of Luke. As you know, often there will be sort of mirrors or repeats of stories throughout the Gospels, but at times they can be particular to one Gospel, and this story is unique to Luke. But many of the themes present in it are mirrored throughout Scripture. And the story is set on a lake called the Lake of Gennesaret, which, by the way, is simply another name for the Sea of Galilee, which you've probably heard of. They are the same place, it's just an alternative name. And we see this crowd, this wonderful large crowd, gathered around Jesus. But Jesus' attention is quickly drawn to two boats full of fishermen who have just given up their fishing after a night uh, full of hard work and no payoff. Now, I know for many people, fishing is a relaxing hobby in which they find great pleasure. Uh, my parents fell into that camp, and they tried several times throughout my childhood to get me to enjoy it too, with limited success. Um, I never quite had the patience for it, and was very likely to quickly give up and pull out my Game Boy, <laughs> sitting by the water and um, not really paying much attention to the fishing part of things. So, needless to say, while I was never a, fish a fisherman, I recognized that many people find a lot of joy in it. But unlike today, when people, when most people who do so today fish for recreation, the disciples lived in a time when fishing would have been necessary for survival. These fishermen would not have been only trying to feed themselves, but they'd also expect to sell some of these fish to kind of make a living. Um, they would have had to pay taxes to the Roman government to support the infrastructure for fishing and um, harbor fees, all of these sorts of things they would have been seeking to do. So. As you might imagine, an unproductive night would have been particularly painful. They, they would have had to pay to fish and had no rewards to show for it. And I did say night, which is something else interesting about the scripture. Um, it sounds odd at first, but they would indeed typically fish overnight at this time. Um, for one thing, it would allow them to avoid the heat of the sun, um, so it would make for a little bit more comfortable experience. But it would also make it so that the darkness would hide their nets, the fish would be more likely to swim into them. And because these were faithful Jews who followed a strict dietary regimen and were only allowed to eat certain kinds of fish, the types of fish that were allowed in the Levitical laws would have been more active at night for whatever reason. So there were many reasons why they would choose night, um, just to clarify that little detail. Fishing would have been something that was economically necessary for the society, but not particularly prestigious. In fact, fishermen would often have become ritually unclean during their work, um, as they may regularly come into contact with some fish that they couldn't consume, or even the blood of fish that they catch, which would have been considered impure under Levitical law. 
And thus, there is significance in Jesus choosing these fishermen to be called as the first disciples. And Simon Peter and these fishermen, they would have been ordinary, hardworking folks, right? But they would have been unclean. And so we see this sort of mirroring other times in the gospel stories when Jesus calls upon people who the religious authorities might view as ritually or religiously unclean and uses them to um, spread his message, uses them at, for a moment of teaching, um, and calls upon them as disciples, really embracing them and bringing them into the fold. And we see that um, this decision to move towards this sort of newness, this sort of um, novelty that Jesus is seeking in this um, countercultural almost aspect of what he's doing sort of break through in what unfolds. We see that the lesson goes on to unfold in a way that the fishermen clearly do not anticipate. So Jesus asked these men who are now done with their work for the night to lower their nets once again, which they have already been in the process of cleaning and you know clearly they're done. Now, consider for a second how Simon must have felt in this moment when he encounters Jesus. Not only would he have been awake all night working, but he was doing hard physical work all to no avail. He's likely exhausted and frustrated. We see this frustration peeking through just a bit in his initial reaction to Jesus, asking him to drop the nets again. We've been working all night long, but have caught nothing. It almost sounds like a protestation, a moment of resistance. But what Simon Peter says next is what makes the difference. Even though it seems unreasonable, even though it sounds unpleasant, and even though he's clearly ready to call it a night and really doesn't feel like it, he says yes to Jesus. He listens to what Jesus says, and it's then that he and these other fishermen are, are vastly rewarded with more fish than they can carry. In that decision to say yes, the fullness of the divine plenitude that Jesus can offer to us is able to be placed on full display. Now, we're not told whether Jesus was just really good at fishing and knew where these disciples should cast their nets to, um, you know, catch all of these fish or whether it was simply a miracle. But the results speak for themselves, going from no fish at all to two boats overflowing with fish to the point of sinking. The way that the narrative frames it with the fishermen's reactions of shock and awe um, it seems more likely to be a miracle than just luck or good fishermanship, but it's, we're not told explicitly. But what is important here is that these results demonstrate to us the immense blessings of saying yes to Jesus, of going out on a ledge and listening to what Christ bids us to do. 
Now, this isn't the only time that fish are used to demonstrate this sort of miraculous abundance. This motif is mirrored elsewhere in scripture. We see it most readily in the story of the loaves and the fishes, where Jesus feeds the multitudes using only two fish and five loaves, magically, miraculously providing enough food to feed all who are present. And just like in that narrative, the point here is clear. The endless blessing that Christ has to offer. We see Peter's immediate reaction here on full display. He falls to Christ's knees. He declares his unworthiness. He says that he's not worthy to receive such a gift. Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. This feeling is one that I'm sure we can all relate to in some form or fashion. When we consider the fullness of our blessings, we may well feel unworthy, right? We may question why it is us that God has chosen to bless. What is special about us? Are we really deserving of such bounty? But how does Jesus respond to him? Does he chastise him or quiet him? No, he actually presents him with words of comfort. Do not be afraid. Jesus knows Simon Peter's fear. He sees his feelings of unworthiness and inadequacy. And still, he chooses him. He comforts him and then affirms his call to him. From now on, you will be catching people. And so Simon Peter agrees. He becomes the first disciple, leaving behind his net, the source of his income, his livelihood, and embracing a life focused on the spiritual, going around to spread the word of Jesus, to fish or draw in followers by sharing the word. Now you will notice that this week's sermon isn't called He Sought Us, but rather He Sought Me. While there is an entire crowd of people present that Jesus does address, although we're not really given the details of how, and there are numerous unnamed fishermen and also James and John, sons of Zebedee, who do become disciples as well. This story really reads as Simon Peter's call story, right? He is the focus here of his interaction with Jesus. And that doesn't mean that these other people are unimportant, but rather this highlights something pretty incredible. Each of us is called individually for our own merits, just as then, still today, we are each on our own called. Jesus seeks everyone, but there is something unique about the way in which Jesus seeks you. Each of us has our own special gifts, talents, and contributions to offer to the world. And even though we may feel unworthy, as Simon Peter does here, all the same, we are called to follow Jesus. Now in function, our call will likely look pretty different to that of a first century Galilean fisherman, but the spirit of the call remains the same. To live a life set apart and molded by the ideals and teachings of Jesus Christ, emulating the love and the care that he guides us with. 
And Christ's power to transform our lives is demonstrated here too. No longer does Simon Peter need to merely subsist, eking away at making a hard living. He can embrace a life of limitless potential, made possible by the plenitude of the divine. The same holds true for us today. The offer to put down our nets, to stop living the ordinary, and embrace the extraordinary, to follow Jesus. Christ offer us, offers us a break here, and at times that may feel like a relief. Although, perhaps more reasonably, it seems implausible, right? And though the call may not always be easy, we're promised that it is worth it. So I ask you today, what is your call story? How has Jesus sought you in your life? How is Jesus calling you right now, and are you willing to say yes and follow him? Amen.